properly. Well, so yes, I'm <laughs> waving my hand and doing something because we are recording now. Brilliant. Okay, shall we start? Mm, I think we might as well. Okay. Sort of. So, got no excuse not to. Really. We've got no excuse not to. Hi, this is Tom and Boulder, and yep, this that's me. is that's him, and this is number seven. Um, Core blimey. I know. We should do a Christmas special or something. <laughs> um, I don't know. Anyway, okay, so. Um, the last one of these went out at the start of November, so this one will go out middle of the month, um, and it's now the 17th, just in case we reference anything that is timely. 17th already? It's 17th of November, I know. Um, there are however many, 45 shopping days till Christmas, I don't know, I'm making that number up. Um, but what we wanted to talk about initially kind of comes off the back of a piece of press that went out um, dead on a week ago. And this is regarding touch press. So, do you want to summarise where we're going to start talking, and then we'll start, we'll throw in some notions. Well, the basic, well, the thing that happened is that touch press is the was the grand hope for all things innov- innovative in in interactive media publishing. It was a grand hope. Well, it, mm-hmm. if you talk to any any publisher, they'd point to touch press. It, they'd be the true. first port of call and saying this, and even even even. The ones that that weren't working with touch press, they would refer to touch uh, touch press as the yeah. sort of ideal to work towards. Yeah. Mm. And uh, basically, what touch press, uh, press did is that they made bespoke apps that are, were very involved, very f- featured, and entirely custom from the ground up. So we're talking about custom graphics, yeah. custom interactivity, custom everything. And be, and they're basically the the same amount of work and investment that would go into a top level game, one of those big budget things. The, the kind of games that are, are that basically <laughs> tend to earn an, uh, same, the same amount of money as a movie. Yeah. Mm. The problem with Touch Press is that they didn't sell like those top level games. They sold like a indie game. Mm. Um, you know, the they sold like the games that are, are put are put out by a solo developer living in a basement. Right. Mm. Um, and working, you know, from with a passion, and you know, they, they weren't even using his business model because he, that guy's probably switched over to in-app payments and uh, uh, you know, free-to-play with in-app payments ages ago, probably way ahead of him. But and so what they did is that they are, if I got this right, they're they're planning on selling off most of their catalogue. This is what I read. So I mean, I'm reading from the bookseller, um, the grand organ of telling us everything. Um, it's a good source for. Finding out whatever is the orthodoxy within publishing. Yes. And it's good for that. Yeah, the move means the company will divest itself of about half of its portfolio of apps, those that don't fit with a new strategy, which will include those in science and natural history, including the elements, the very first app from da 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 da. But yeah, it looked. <clears throat> I read it, and you're right. The I've talked about Touch Press for years, and in every kind of teaching scenario where I talk about the potential of what you can do with books and digital, then I show the wasteland. And and one of the things I do with the wasteland is then sort of pull it apart a little bit and say, actually, it's a fairly simple mechanic. It's a fairly simple construction. It's just done very, very well. And it's done beautifully well in the tone of it. Do you have a hard disk drive somewhere on the table? I do have a hard disk drive on the table. Is it making a noise? Yes, it is. Okay, let me see if I can... Oh, it stopped now. Okay, that's fine. Yes, no worries. <clears throat> it could be the plumbing. This house is... <laughs> um... Yeah, the waste. I mean, for me, the wasteland. The wasteland for me borrows exactly the same kind of construction mechanic as did Enhanced Editions. Um, first, I think it's the first one they did. That I really noticed because it's me was um, Nick Cage, Buddy Monroe. Yeah. In that, it allowed you to bounce from 
reading the reading the text as an ebook to being to having the text spoken to you by Cave with a soundtrack and bounce back in and bounce back out. And of course, what I looked at it from a kind of open point of view was well, basically because a sound file is one long string of you know, obviously not it's non zero but it's the way you interpret it it's one it, it's a long string of information and it's fairly simple to kind of log where the user is where the vision is at any point along that and for me that was how wasteland worked mm. wasteland worked pretty much the same model that the poem is one long string of data yeah. that you then bounce and you add ancillary content but the joy of the wasteland is it works beautifully and it is I think we've touched on it before that it may not be the ideal teaching tool and it may be kind of catering to a rather narrow market. What it does, it does really, really well. Yeah. And it's absolutely the kind of thing that as a parent, you know, in 15 years' time, if my kids are doing, it's not 15 years, it's really much closer than that, <laughs> my kids are doing GCSEs and they touch on the wasteland, then I think the wasteland is, a, is, a, is a, absolutely a thing I'll shout at nine quid for. It yeah. makes absolute sense and it seems to kind of encapsulate some kind of. Um, education meets digital meets content meets um, high modernist experimental poetry. That all works. But to be honest, though, they'd probably learn more by having a long conversation with somebody who actually knows something about the wasteland. They, because that's uh, that that is the <laughs> that's more likely to result that, in knowledge uh, and understanding about the poem than they would. They would absolutely. But then, I mean, this is a different conversation. Then you kind of open out the actually what are, what are your kids learning and how are they learning and why they're learning and can do you know someone who has a huge amount of knowledge about the wasteland? Is a <laughs> no seriously? Yeah, is no, a, that's is, a good point. Is a secondary school teacher who is employed to teach the set texts assigned by mm. the exam board every year and. And understands textual analysis and understands a whole set of things. Are they necessarily going to be the world's foremost expert on the wasteland? The answer is probably not. <laughs> so actually, having something that includes Ezra Pound's annotations, that includes readings, actually mm. is a really at that level is a really interesting opening up. Absolutely, you need at some mm. point if you're going to study the wasteland and study Elliot, you need someone who knows this stuff incredibly well. But the well, part of the reason why a conversation and sort of mentorship is important in teaching is that. People are very bad at explaining how t- how you arrive at knowledge. Yes, mm. and part of the the one of the best way to learn that is basically through uh, basically exposure to people who are who have that knowledge and exposure to how they do it. So, yeah. uh, if mm. you uh, the, the, one of the difference between um, having this information presented in an app is that the app they present what they already know but once you do do it in a conversation with with somebody who's knowledgeable and they walk you through the text you will be able to intervene and you will get a much much better sense of how they the processes they use to arrive at that knowledge and that's going to that that is that is the skill that you're actually trying to teach you're not trying to teach wasteland no absolutely because the app has no dialogue the app has no Mm. dialogue and no no kind of iterative dialogue with a user it doesn't kind of respond to them it just it it, it delivers something it delivers a kind of layer of learning and it's interesting you've used the word mentor that i've been described as a mentor twice this week Well, you're in the education. Uh, you, um, you're in the education industry. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it it's pretty much part of your job description to be really? yeah, to to <laughs> at least sort of nod towards in the direction to uh, towards being a mentor. You know, somehow. Okay. Um, sort of. Um, yeah. The, the tone of that conversation means I apparently got to have proteges, which is. <laughs> I talk to somebody else about it and realise that they'll end up killing us or we'll end up killing them or there's something to replace. Anyway, that's a cloud out of this conversation. Okay, but um, so the wasteland and elements and the sonnets and then the other piece that they did, of course, which has been mentioned on this podcast before, is Ian Pierce Arcadia. Yeah. All kind of came out of 
touch press's relationship with Faber. And it does look like what they're going to do is sell, is find a buyer for those. And apparently buyers are landing up around the block. Well, if, especially if they're, if they're getting high, very expensive productions at bargain basement prices. Well, this is it, because the cost of producing those things and the cost of maintaining an organisation like Touch Press for, and I forget when Elements came out, but certainly Wasteland is four or five years old now. Yeah, um, Elements is older than that. Elements is older than that. Then that's, that's not an inconsiderable amount of money that has been spent developing and maintaining and building these things. So absolutely, they're getting a, they are going to get a kind of bargain basement price. It seemed to me there were there was some comment on Twitter about the app model being broken and the approach well, being wrong. Well, it is, but it just it just felt that it felt that as, as so often happens that the the description of the app model is broken. Touch press is a great white hope. They're getting out of it. The whole thing is doomed. We should all throw our hands up in despair, and the sky is going to fall. Yeah. It seems to me to be a bit, a bit like, oh, for goodness' sake! Just, yeah, this is it's one organisation that took one high, high profile, one very public strategy to do this, to kind of approach this. And they were absolutely the poster child for a certain kind of conversation around digital and literature and development for five, six years. And, well, yeah. just, and they've decided to to reevaluate their approach. Well, they had to. I think they were running out of money. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, and regardless of the return on... Wasteland or to, or elements or any of those things. At some point, you have to think about what you do. You have to shift and change, and mm. you have to kind of modify your business approach and and realign with what you think the market is going to support for the next five years, yeah. or else you're not going to be in business. And I guess that's where we wanted to start this one: is thinking about just a discussion about the business models around digital and publishing to try and unpick from our perspective. To not do a what works and what doesn't work, although this will end, inevitably end up doing a bit of that, but try and just kind of approach what we think some of the problems are and what we think some of not the solutions but the the right questions to ask might I've, be. I've even got a list of problems here. Have you got a list of problems? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, sort of... as Boulder came with a list of problems and I came with a notebook with an empty page, it just said podcast <laughs> number seven. We'll start with Boulder's list of problems. Well, the the first the first thing is that the app store situation is is more complicated and nuanced than people make it out to be yeah it is a horrible place to do, uh, to do a business and can, can we just clarify we, are we are, in terms of this conversation are we just going to look at the ios store are we looking at google play as well uh, the same dynamic works there um, yeah. I, 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 the, okay. I, I, there's, I think there's the, a nuance in how people yeah. buy and what they buy I, I think that the the two are basically converging in terms of the business model more than they are diverging yeah. Um, and generally speaking, the the problem with the app store is that it's not inherent with uh, the, the, uh, with the problem with both app stores and to a larger degree any pretty much anything that publishers do in digital is that it's not the app store that's a bad place to do business. Yeah. It's that the app store is geared towards consumers, and selling okay. to to consumers is always a really 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 bad idea. Consumers are a horrible horrible customer. <laughs> It's it's like once you decided I'm going to build my business on selling to consumers. It's like deciding, oh, I'm going to take my socks off and walk on broken glass. <laughs> After that, all of your decisions are about how to mitigate the pain. It's not about doing anything constructive. It's just a really bad. Idea. Consumers do not buy things rationally. No. Um, okay, and it, it's sort of, it's just, and you end up with the Matthew effect, as in the rich get richer. The big, the the big, big yeah. the, uh, people, things get big out of luck or yeah. or timing, and they're going to take the entire market. 
and the other ones just get left out. And it's just selling to consumers is a bad idea. And it, but the problem is the entire trade publishing industry hinges on selling to consumers. It, it's yes. that's what trade means. It's sort of it's it's not. It means that you're selling to bookstores, which sell to consumers. It's not about being anything you know in terms of. Um, Professional or, or or work related. Yeah. So that's mm. problem number one is that you you've already you're, you've got a handicap out of the gate as in, and you're and uh, and in the app store it's, it's ex- exacerbated by the fact that you're competing with high production value games that are selling at a uh, sort of uh, for for zero dollars. Yeah. Mm. And it's sort of and and they're doing the same thing. It's like if you look at TouchPress, they are the the only real value propos- proposition they have. Is entertainment because it's they're not a part of the educational ecosystem. Mm. You know, it's they, they, you're not they're not going to be assigned texts anywhere. No, they're, they're not, not going to be a part of a part of any any curriculum so unless you're teaching the history of interactive media. Which yes, which as we both know is a thing that universities. Flirt Don't really. Yeah. I think they, they flirt with every. It kind, of, it kind of comes around like a rash. It's like your mm. kids. You know, your kids get chicken pox once. It's like I don't know, but it comes around every so often that universities have a rush at teaching interactive media and like the autumn it. flu. Yeah, the autumn flu. That's a better way of describing it. And and they always do it badly because you're 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 playing catch up. And unless unless you teach the history history of it, you teaching the present is 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 like wading through mud. And. Okay, that's interesting. That's so. The first problem is the app stores. The app store is <clears throat> a, well. The first problem is basically it's a consumer market, and consumers yeah. are just really hard to sell to. Sure. And it takes a lot of marketing. It takes a lot of positioning to do it right. I mean, you need to. You need to. I mean, what the, if you look at what other people have been doing, like games, like mm. comics, and um, niche uh, uh, sort of the, uh, uh, is that they target niches. They t- mm. they they pick a very 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 well defined a well defined worldview. Yeah. Um, which means that the consumer once they encounter the product, they say they see themselves immediately. Yeah, I've got that worldview. That's for me. Yeah. And that that uh, that cuts through a lot of the problems with with trying to sell to consumers, which you know because. You, you need something, some way to cut through the noise. Because that consumer is self-identifying as a target market. That the, yeah, you, well, you, you, almost, you, you don't need to target at them. They will come to you. They, 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 will, they will say, I want to be part of this because this equates to something about the way I live my life, the way I identify myself, the way I kind of describe myself. And it needs to be really specific, specific to it. Yeah. It's sort of, <clears throat> it's sort of, and it's one of the issues with, uh, with coming from um, people coming from trade publishing mm. is that their default is to be innocuous and be inoffensive and right. be something mm. that is broad-based, push it into the bookstores and let the bookstores hand, uh, take care of the problem of, of, get it, of, of selling to the consumer. Sure. Um, and therefore, and therefore, their problem with looking at the app market, the, the app store market, is to say is to assume that the app store market will do that for them. Yeah, which it, it's won't. Because it won't. No. Because <clears throat> there's no hand selling in the in the app store. You, uh, so no. what you need to do is you need to be clearly defined, and you need to pick your community. Yeah. And you need to alienate everybody else because otherwise your community won't uh, won't relate to you. And worse, there isn't even a recommendation engine. I mean, the one thing that Amazon's got. Oh, going it's, it's really bad. Uh, it's a really, really bad really recommendation. Bad recommendation engine. Engine. The one thing Amazon's got going for it, it does have a recommendation engine that is. And, and you could, and. Uh, Sophisticated is what it will push at you. Mm. Well, it's 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 more sophisticated than nothing. Yeah, <laughs> which is good. Yeah, mm. and also one thing that Amazon does, which is something that plagues every app store at the moment, is mm. the fact that Amazon does samples. You can get a decent idea of 
what you're getting just through the samples, uh, a, a yeah. sample from uh, from, uh, from, uh, from the Amazon store. You got read inside for the print books. It got yeah. samples for the e-books. Yeah. It's 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 an easier market for to to sell to, which is why it's a bit tragic that they don't really do interactivity. Sure, because if, if you open that out, suddenly you would change. It's not it's not offer interactivity to Amazon. Um, no, they probably do really badly anyway. <laughs> okay, so, so, the, so the first problem that we've got is is the market. The market is trying to do all things to all people and doesn't allow you to identify a target market, or at least in the, if you treat the market, if you treat the the app store as a bookshop, you're yeah. going to die. Oh, you know, but spectacular. Yeah, there there is there is no engine, there is no gearing, there is no recommendation, there is no sense to which you're having a curated experience around. That's a horrible word. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Danny Virtual. Um, around the shape of this experience that you're getting, um, it's it's neutral and it's flat, and therefore you're going to get lost unless you become one of the picks. I mean, one thing that touch press even picks press don't result in a, a, that, a that many sales. No, there's a, there's, a, there's a peak in that, but you've you've got to really manipulate it and really kind of play the game on a continual basis to even have a chance of survival. In yeah. That respect. Okay. And so it's sort of. I mean, if you look at the uh, if you're going to look at the uh, a sort of parallel, um, the uh, the the uh, the people who actually manage to make money in with apps mm-hmm. tend to be people who are focused on creating concrete value for the user. Yeah. Um, as in, they tend to be professional apps. They tend to they, they tend to say yeah. this will save you this amount of time mm-hmm. and therefore this amount of money at your job there's an offer implicit in this. yeah and yeah. it's sort of uh, and and it's it's you it's like for example if, if i when i'm do, uh, do, uh, doing my job and i, I i'm going through uh, find a, i find a link to an app that's a uh, where and i know because i know my job i know that would save me an hour's work when i'm solving that task and it costs 20 quid yeah. it's a no-brainer to buy it yeah it's mm-hmm. an absolute no-brainer and People in in my, in my position, which can, you know, a lot of freelancers can then just say that that's a, can uh, you know that's an expense. Mm. You can can even sometimes just get it uh, with, uh, um, charged to the project they're working on. Yeah. Mm. So it's uh, the it becomes selling to professionals becomes a much more rational proposition. It's sort of yeah. you, you can it's much easier to present the value proposition. And the problem that people in those uh, that market have is that. The app store isn't geared towards um, that the, towards that sales process and that value process because everybody has to uh, uh, present in the same format and you don't have any communication with your users. No. Um, so what they end up doing is they tend to make apps that are that have fewer features but are run through a website mm-hmm. as a web service and you buy yeah. uh, buy uh, buy via uh, a subscription. And so it's it, we're having this weird dichotomy where. Like, um, if you look at interactive media that that is working and that is profitable, mm. um, like Safari Books Online yeah. or mm. Linda dot com, which are th- that's interactive media. There's, yeah, there's no way, but uh, no, no. Uh, yeah. It's uh, you know, and it, it's there. There's nothing. They're no less innovative in terms of their interactivity than than a lot of what TouchPress is doing. Yeah. Mm. Um, but they present their uh, they pre- uh, pre- present first through through the website and then they do that uh, sometimes uh, do that. Some of them don't even do that because they don't have to. Yeah. Mm. Um, but they uh, go th- they completely really they t- tend to completely bypass the app as mm. a as a sales mechanism. Yeah. And it's just there's a worrying trend where it's just we have we haven't really found a nice business model for cons- digital consumer level uh, level projects 
except be huge and sure. be a blockbuster. Yeah. And uh, but and we're gravitating towards that in on in print as well. If you look at um, the development in in, the, in trade publishing, just the, the reliance on blockbusters. It's a, a if 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 uh, one of the big publishers has a year without a blockbuster, their revenue declines. <laughs> measure yeah. the overall revenue for the entire company. Declines uh, declines measurably for a uh, year from year. They're, they're, so their entire margin mm. uh, depends depends on there being uh, you know one or two blockbusters per year, and it's it's just I'm not sure how you can mitigate that with pricing. No, um, and I, I sort of um, you can mitigate it with community building. I think well, I think community building is, is your. I guess I was thinking when you were talking about the way. The way the app store limits your reach to a market, and the way actually before you said it, you know, you need a community. You need you need a, a community of interested readers, and there are a whole set of things that kind of cascade out of that in terms of self-publishing as a community, of independent publishing as a community, and actually not not being kind of enthralled to the, you need a blockbuster, you need this massive thing to sustain you. But I guess the the project that kind of immediately sprang to mind when we talked about Touch Press was the Silent History. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I've spoken to Eli Horowitz, and Eli has not given me numbers. Eli will not give me numbers on that. I, I've seen, I have unofficially seen the numbers for the first three or four weeks of the print edition, and they were not spectacular. So it's now had a paperback release. I don't know kind of where that places it, but the digital edition, presumably, and I'm, I am guessing here, was successful enough to not sink the business, to keep them okay. running and to keep the thing rolling. And that obviously, that, that began... I mean, effectively, the model for that is in-app purchase. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Sun History, when it first arrived, promised a huge thing, promised a, 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 a digital novel experience that would be delivered to your phone or your tablet on a daily basis in chapters that would be a break between chapters, and it would be the scale of a novel. And it, it clearly... For me, the joy of the science history was it clearly advertised itself as such, and the the interface with the circles as containing each chapter that kind of cascaded out in bunches of years in a nine year span, an eight year span, a seven year span, and finished up with I think twenty forty was clearly the climax of the whole thing. And then yeah. cascade, felt like a story. It felt like Freytag's Triangle. It felt like kind of a, a story with that that conforms to Aristotle's principles of drama. That <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. And it absolutely worked. And of course, then on the on the back underneath that, it has um, field reports, which I think critically worked less well in that you had to be in a specific place to read them. But I think conceptually mm. are still really a beautiful idea. And obviously, yeah. you know, we circumstances work a lot with site responses, site-specific work, and I think that certainly chimes with me. I still think there's a problem in <clears throat> you had to be in the location. Yeah. Although I think that's obviously the point of it, that you're you're there yeah. and you have a resonance with the place. My uh, my problem with uh, with having requiring people to be in a specific location is the fact that one of the... Being somebody who comes from a small island isolated in the middle of bloody nowhere, the yeah. entire benefit of digital media is the abstraction of location. And, uh, oh, completely absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. sort of, I don't have to be in in the big cities, or no. like and I can be in my you know Shitsville, Iceland, and, and, um, and experience all the same things. You can, and, and the obvious, if you want to make site in, in that instance, if you if they really want to make that site specific site responsiveness thing work, then it, it needn't be a specific playground in San Francisco. It's any playground. Yeah, it's any children's play area. This is not. To, Sound history is about a generation of children who grow up without the facility for language or communication. And there are the examples of some of the field reports they gave are really quite haunting and quite beautifully made and beautifully done. But they're they're obviously short and they're designed to be read when you're you're stood in the same place as the person who wrote them. Now, yeah, 
I, I, I like, I mean, you know, we've talked about me and the Evan Garden being abstract and being an artist before. <laughs> I, I like that. I do think there's, I think there's a problem in the way it was delivered. And I think the way that it was delivered could have been made more accessible. Yeah. Um, but the model... Uh, but uh, the model is still... <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's, it's just the same, it's the same model as... It's a, it, it ties back in what I was talking about earlier mm. in terms of the how independent game developers have responded to yeah. the large game developers. Is what they've done is like... Um, um, Spry Fox, who does Alpha Bear mm-hmm. and has done, you know, like a, an absolute mess of really innovative, innovative games. Um, you know, they, they're, they're a small company. What they do is they they just basically say, "Oh, fine, we're going to do the free to play, um, um, you know, in that payments mm-hmm. thing, but we're going to do it do it fairly and sensibly. We're not yeah. going to not going to you know be assholes about it." Yeah. Um, and what they do is is uh, they just make really nice games that are time limited if you don't pay. Yeah, there's yeah. a one one usually a one uh, one time payment to unlock the time limit, but and then you can spend money if you wanted to. Yeah, you know, mm. help, uh, to get bling basically. Yeah, um, and um, uh, it's sort of the game becomes an adver- ad- adver- uh, advertisement for uh, for itself, yeah. which cuts through the problem of essentially marketing in that. Offer that it's it's a reason why everything is gravitating towards free in the app store is that one in a neutral play uh, sort of uh, a neutral ground where there's nobody selling your um, selling your work. Mm. What you do is, yeah, um, what you do is um, uh, you need to find a way to sell the work, and mm. uh, the, the the only way that people have really the only way that works. Is to get the work to sell itself by yeah. making it free and offering payments uh, inside the app, yeah. and it's sort of <clears throat> that uh, yeah, silent um, um, silent history does that. It, it's essentially just copying that model, and it by the look by the looks of the design of the app, it's not it doesn't have the intense graphic design and uh, and development costs that you you see from um touch press it doesn't need it i mean <clears throat> and, th- and this is the other thing that works for me in terms of silent history is it, it's text yeah it's text read <clears throat> over a sequence of days and the beauty of reading it, which i think is why the print edition works differently that's just yeah is that i did i i, I would occasionally miss four or five days and have a, an afternoon catching up with it but mm. I, I would read the thing in a serial fiction manner and absolutely yeah. operating it <clears throat> And it got clever. It got slightly clever because the way it's constructed as a narrative is you're reading, you're reading testimonies of a number of characters who begin as these children are being born, and the the very kind of John Wyndham Midwich Cuckoos esque elements start to become manifest that the people don't trust the children, people don't trust the communities, that everybody has a different response to them, and it's played quite quite nicely. And of course, as you work your way through the couple of hundred however many there are actual testimonies in the book because they're the same characters you're able to link back to ones you've read before yeah so you're, re- you're reading the testimony of a character in 2039 you then get the ability to read back to everything they've written before and that that kind of nested hypertext works beautifully because it's done really subtly so it's sort of here's here's the point where the difference between you and me gets highlighted mm. when you describe that i'm thinking you know, if they uh, use that exact same mechanism to do like um, an interesting media adaptation of Twenty Four, that would have really sold well. And it, because that model per- works perfectly, you sort of do a twenty-four hour period, you unlock it as you as you go. People yeah. follow on, mm-hmm. link through profiles and data and intelligence reports. It would have sold massively, like hotcakes. It, it works. So yeah. it's, mm. you talk about the whole artistic side, and you know, oh, this is this works well in telling the story. And I think, oh. We could use uh, do, uh, you, we could use that for something that would sell really well. <laughs> there's, no, well there's no 
reason you shouldn't use it with things that sell really well. I mean, this for me is always the testing ground of playing with ideas and playing with something that's an artistic project or something that that, that positions itself as a piece of literature mm. that's going to sell to a niche market. That it points the way. It points yeah. the way to something else. And absolutely, the I mean, sincerest form of pressure is imitation. Go out and make something. And if and if some some mainstream property comes and copies all the ideas, that's exactly the point of doing this exploration. It's like you're, because it, you know it, it's taking away some of the risk. Uh, for for the mainstream property, so they can go. Yeah. Oh, hang on, there's somebody over there mm. dead. Oh, he's a pioneer. But what's he found there? That what's the corpse lying on? <laughs> what, then what's the corpse lying on? Or here is here is Eli Horowitz and and the guys he works with, um, Eli Horowitz and Quinn, no Horowitz thinking and Quinn, who make this thing. Yeah. We should get them to do something else. We should get yeah. them to do this in this space. And that's absolutely how, in an ideal world, you know, the 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 development community should be interacting with publishers mm. with people who make larger projects because you know how to do it so your, basically what we're saying your is that is in your head it's so basically not necessarily what, what's on the so basically what we're saying is that um pu- the publishing industry would have been better off looking at and working with the people behind silent history than with touch press i think possibly i think that I mean, Eli Horowitz, sorry, we're just using Eli as a case study. Eli, Eli is a particularly rare mind in that he thinks about things in a design sense. Eli's a book designer. Yeah. Um, he was McSweeney's editor in, McSweeney's editor-in-chief for a number of years. We keep c- coming back to McSweeney's. We absolutely, <laughs> can, we, which is, we're sat in my study, you, you're kind of unpicking what's in my head and what's on my bookshelf. Mm. No, we do. And there are, I think there's, there are caveats in terms of how McSweeney's operates and how it's funded. And that allows it a certain amount of latitude to develop itself and to become yeah. established, but absolutely does what it does incredibly well because but it's also the, the it's way about it's about consistent quality. But also the way about the uh, the thing that whenever people qualify uh, co- com- uh, organizations that do interesting things by saying, well, they only can, can only do that because they're structured in some mm. way or, or built in some way. Uh, or, yeah. But they, they are structured that way and they're funded that way by design. Yeah, they absolutely. Did, it, it didn't, yeah. it's like, it isn't like handed down from God, like by no. accident. Is that, they, 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 they decided on this way because they knew that this would enable interesting work. It would enable interesting work and it would feed a whole set of things. And McSweeney's is much more than the, the quarterly. It's a whole set mm. of other projects and other ideas, some of which are philanthropic, and for quite a lot of which are now philanthropic, and a lot of them, but they're about the quality of experience and the quality of the book and the object and the thing and whatever it is you're doing um, all the way through from the publishing stuff to the stuff with young readers and communities in New York and then the Cascades no it's I think they're an interesting model but um, what's equally interesting about the silent history is kind of what is where it fits into a kind of continuum of other projects and what's yeah. happened so the, the pickle index has just come out my copies at work which is a really lovely paired Hardbacks. Um, I'm almost 100% certain my copy is not on this shelf. No, it's not. It's there. Look, you see it. Ooh. Crap podcast moment. Um, right, the Pickle Index, which are two books and an app. I've not had time to spend a huge amount of time with this, but what I do and like. And they're in a slipcase. Of course they're in a slipcase because we like slipcases. Um, mm. So what should happen is. Of for the untrained reader, you can't actually see what I'm doing, but I'm opening pages of a no, book. It seems quite. Quite thoroughly, uh, the, uh, at least they open up with a beautiful illustration. They open up with beautiful illustrations, and the idea is that the illustrations then feed into each other. That what the illustrations do is is create larger images that kind of fall ah, out, okay. and so you combine and cascade, and the illustrations become a second piece. Okay, that the things that the two books physically connect, and the two books then physically connect to a red experience. Yeah, and this is. 
partly because it's a beautifully designed thing and it's an experiment. I just, you know, I'll, you know, I have my twenty-five dollars. In fact, more for shipping. <laughs> but it's it's the idea of you push the quality, you push the object, you push the thing I want to own, mm -hmm. and you push that thing that's about the experience. Um, and it does it obviously. I mean, Silent History sold um, on iOS only. Um, yeah, they didn't worry about selling to Android because anecdotally, and here's where I get shot down by every Android user. Android users don't like paying for content. Yeah, well, um, it's sort of less than iOS users. Well, mm. it, it, it was certainly the case when he released Sound History, but there's yeah. it seems to be slowly changing as the higher as as more of the higher end um, Androids. Mm get more traction so yeah. basically the more of the flagship um, Samsung devices are in the market yeah. the, those people will pay for content because they've already mm. <laughs> dished out well like 500 quid yeah so it's it, they, they end up being the same sort of market bias but that's still a fraction of the of the it's still smaller than the the iOS market but it's 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 grown enough to be it's grown enough to be sort of be, be a, a market. It's uh, so I, I suspect that if you're doing silent history now, it probably would be worthwhile to do uh, to do um, cross platform. Uh, yeah, and address both. No, I, th I think I think you're you're right. Well, I think what you said it earlier. What appeals to me about silent history and pickle index and a whole set of things is that the the interactive, the digital element is really simply designed. Yeah, it's not designed to have. It's not. It's not designed to imitate a game. Yeah, and this may be me putting little markers down in the sand that piss off people in the press but it's not trying to say that games are the answer it's not saying that game there is an element of play in it yeah without any doubt at all and you know we that's books have done that for years and years and years regardless of whether they're game books or not but there's there's an element of simplicity and beauty in the design that doesn't try and make the thing over complicated doesn't try to make the thing an experience of anything that you would equate with a game-like experience yeah. actually it's about it's about the notion of reading and change and shifting and altering the way we read between one platform and the other, and that's what I find interesting. Um, well, I mean, it's sort of just to clarify at this point, so that people don't sort of burn us at the stake. Um, it's not a question of whether uh, of saying that games aren't the future no, of storytelling no. or digital. Mm. Is that they are a future, and the 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 the, pro the point is that. Digital is a is a divergent. It's yeah. it's complicated, and it it, mm. it you know to to quote the uh, what's his name um, you know I'm large I contain multitudes. Yeah. Um, no, it's sort of it, you know, so it's, it's a big, being interested in reading I know, um, but on interstitial doesn't mean that you you dismiss the existence no, of games. God knows, but but I think one of the things that well, when we started with Touch Press and Touch Press is kind of our touchstone um, mm. in this hour of podcast. One of the things that I think Touch Press does badly is it borrows too much of a game-like experience of, especially of, the cost and the cost <laughs> absolutely the, the cost of production the kind of that this has to be a the idea that, that for it to be a beautiful thing it has to it has to be it has to look beautiful rather than the underlying thing being elegantly simple yeah and the simplicity actually being your selling point and the and then therefore the quality of experience being a selling point rather than suddenly the quality of experience equates to hyper-realistic graphics or hyper something or, I, mean, I know I'm being just, I'm being glib and, and, and reductive here but that seems to be where you end up with the wasteland costing two hundred thousand to make. Yeah, where actually, you especially can video production costs can completely. go. Can, <clears throat> once you buy into the idea that you want to do mm. proper TV level um, yep. video production in high definition, let alone four K, yes, then the your, mm. your costs are going to spiral up to uh, up into the stratosphere. Yeah, I mean it's it's like the the if you if I keep, I keep referring back to the difference between a, a list games with their 
hyper-realism and hyper-rendering and independence games which tend to be 2D they tend to have a flat aesthetic but it can be incredibly gorgeous but they just go deliberately cut down on the on mm. realism and, and up on the uh, uh, increase the abstraction level yeah. because that's cheaper to make you can make make beautiful things more economically well, uh, with the uh, deliberate design decisions absolutely and it sort of it strikes me that you could, uh, it's it, that the same contrast is uh, or it can uh, you could draw the same parallel between touch press with a list level design yeah. and production and silent history, which focuses on text, yeah, absolutely, and it's sort of it's a deliberate design aesthetic, which also happens to be cheaper to make, yeah, and it's sort of, um, and it, uh, looking at for, uh, for, uh, we, uh, sort of having having gone to the rooms and looking at the stuff that um, of circumstance has been doing, and um, it's sort of um, mandatory mention. Everybody. Well, it's sort of I'm, I'm mentioning it, so it's, it doesn't qualify as self promotion right. as, as a reader. Um, and it sort of it strikes me that the aesthetic of the apps there is it goes into this sort of similar path as silent, uh, silent history in that it focuses on on aesthetically presented digital text yeah. rather than <laughs> hyper realistic pr- uh, uh, production. So it's because it, once you get the these high resolution screens, you can actually design text to look look really nice on these uh, on these devices. We were really, I mean. The pieces you're talking about, which are Stark Holden's Pilot Light and Audrey Niffenegger's Girl in Space, Girl on Earth, that we were, we were really interested in the digital the digital side of it, the digital layer, the thing I keep calling the adjacent layer in homage to Chris Priest, um, <clears throat> being being looking and behaving like a book, looking and behaving like, a, like, like I think a book should behave in digital mm. space, ra- rather than imitating a book, but saying, okay, we need to think about a typography, we need to think about the line length, we need to think about the spacing and the weight of letters, and working with a software developer who was sympathetic to that, yeah. just kind of taking a bit of guidance, and obviously, you know, I mean, the whole thing, the other thing about they're made for an absolute shoestring, but yes, absolutely trying to attend to that in the play between the book and the screen, and yeah. how you read, but the experience of reading being the critical thing, the experience of <clears throat> of relating a story back to somebody else, the experience of kind of containing that story in your head for the five or ten minutes you were reading it, yeah. of being the thing that we were trying to do with all those things that we showed. Um, yeah. Mm. But yeah, no, so it's... So we basically come, uh, all has come back down to the same thing. It's it's running theme through the podcast so far is that you should tend to... Uh, don't spend too much money per project to... You know, a series of simpler pro- uh, projects Completely. and iterate your way to, uh, towards and you learn, what works. And you learn more from that. One yeah. of the, I mean, we, we've, sorry, we've, for people who don't know, the, um, the Rooms was a, in fact, if you listen to podcast number six, you've probably got the idea of The Rooms. The Rooms was a celebration of 50 odd projects that were publicly funded over the last four and a half years, mostly based around or in the Southwest. So, universities, Bristol, University of West of England, Exeter, Cardiff, and Bath with then creative industry partners from essentially across Europe but mostly in the UK and the rooms was a celebration of all those projects so all 53 were on display and the work that we had as circumstance was very much geared toward books and reading and digital reading and the way I kept pitching it to every one of the 7,000 people who came through did I say 7,000? I said 7,000 people <laughs> in that space was these are books that don't behave like books. They feel like books, they look like books, but they're not going to behave quite like you expect a book to behave. And it's just, it is a simplicity. Some of the, mm. the, the pieces that Duncan Speakman made in the two or three weeks running up to the rooms just work with audio. It's just audio and a book in your hand. And we, he called them five conversations. And they are, they're little plays with what reading between, reading in 
on a book and being read to in your ears and the play where you occupy the space between those two spaces gives you where it puts mm. you and what you anticipate and what you expect and they are they are actually someone said they're the only time circumstances have ever done a joke you know, <laughs> that was me i think it was you <laughs> people said it over the weekend but yeah it's but it, you're right it's a simplicity it's don't <clears throat> don't over engineer it don't overdo it keep it elegant and remember about for us so this is manifesto remember about the reader about the player yeah. about the person who is involved in it i think that's one of the things that we really hold true and I think it's the things that I like that projects that I think work incredibly well have that consistency have that sense of there is some there is a human being going to be playing with this well it's sort of I mean it's it's the I mean uh, uh, I've spent a large part of sort of some part of yesterday evening going through sort of the Mm -hmm. Chris catalogue right and one thing that struck me is that how incredibly eclectic it is! It's just a, right. it's like a random collection of of vaguely literary and historical things, with you know possibly with some educational value. There's no cohesive flavour um, okay. to what they do. It seems like they're just like the feeling I get from the catalogue is they just you know pick whatever uh, big a big thing uh, a pub- the publisher brought them. That's interesting, and it's sort of. It's, I don't see how you could. Uh, it's like they do whenever. Whenever you look at, and it, it, it's like you wouldn't build a publisher of that size using that product strategy. You no. would pick a theme, you pick a genre, and you'd yeah, and you'd you, st- and you work in that space. And yeah, develop. you'd pick a space to work, and it's like they do. It, it, if you'd run a publisher with the strategy that TouchPress chose, mm. you'd basically said, "I'm going to make books, and then just do whatever book that comes along." And yeah. it's like, no, you don't. It's like, it's they just said we were going to do interactive media. With, okay, with with the assumption then. And we are kicking TouchPress, and I don't want to kick TouchPress because I think what they what they did was terrific. With the assumption that suddenly, if you do interactive books, that's enough of a market. That's, yeah. en- that's enough of a. Def- and which I think what we're saying is that's not enough of a defined market. No. Right. Okay. It's 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 it's, it's a bit it, like saying I'm going to do an app. But I think it's worth saying. I think mm. I think it's absolutely worth saying. And I'm thinking about. I'm not trying to be on a mission to convert publishers, although obviously we are. Um, <laughs> but just in terms of one one of the things that I think we both think about the market and the way the market differentiates and doesn't differentiate and splits is it actually saying an interactive saying it's a piece of interactive book interactive media is not enough we need you need to you need to tunnel down a little bit further and get to some detail and get to some kind of whether as you say whether that's a genre whether it's a specific reach even coming back to the start whether it's you're addressing a particular community Mm. and trying to leverage something around that because because the problem with the marketplace, the problem with the app store, is it ain't going to do that for you, no. and it's not going to allow you to do that for you. And there, there isn't even a the equivalent of a science fiction and crime section in Waterstones that you can reliably assume that you can walk into and find your release in there. Nobody goes to. I mean, it, it, what happens is that most of these projects are just because it's not because you're not delivering a productive value. Yeah. Most of these um, apps are just shuttled into a ghetto of. Either educational or you know yep. book-like thingies, where sure. they're just like crowded into a one corner that nobody will ever look into. Yeah. Um, at best, you're going to get put into the game section, which is a bit like saying oh, you've been stocked in Waterstones, and as if Waterstones didn't have any sort of genre, you just have you're in you're in Waterstones. You're in Waterstones, and there are books. Yeah. You are left to your own devices to browse and find. I mean, even the the, cover. even mm. the categories in uh, it's just uh, the. It's just the app store is just not conducive to the sort of same sort of browsing purchasing experience, because it's just 
like I said, it's all organized about around sales, mm. and the things that are already uh, sell, selling well are what what's going to continue to sell. Mm. And the only way if you're going to get traction is if you fake your way onto onto the um, top selling, um, you know, either the top grossing or the top selling uh, list, because yeah. once you're on the list, yeah, you stay on the list. You stay on the list, and you're so there. which yeah. is the reason why why people just. You know, they've literally been like purchase frauds, where they just pay shitloads of people to go and buy the app, to put it on, uh, put it on the bestseller list, and they try to keep it there for long, uh, long enough for uh, uh, for other, for it to get get its own traction, and it's sort of like yeah, that, it, fraud is going to get locked down at some point, yeah. and it's it's an unreliable um, long term product strategy. I mean, obviously, yeah. if you're a criminal or, or dishonest. Which probably means that it's going to be, you know, quite compatible with the ethics of most publishers. True. Mm. Um, Did we say that? I, well, I said it. Not you. Said you. It. Okay. Um, but <clears throat> it, yeah, it's sort of. I mean, these are the people that that, uh, that ask people to sign contracts that la- literally will last until their grandchildren are dead. Sure. Mm. Um, which is, you know, on the face of it, dishonest. I mean, there, there's no, there's no. You cannot exp- uh, sort of skew the world in any sensible way that will make the existing publishing contracts honest. They are fundamentally unethical. You do not ask somebody to sign away a successful pro- a product for 120 years. Mm. You just you, you yeah. just don't mm. do that. I mean, it, 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 the uh, it, the fact that they only let let you get the rights back to something that is unsuccessful makes it worse. That's actually more dishonest because. The successful products are the ones that have paid for themselves within the first year or two. Mm. And then you get another 118 years of value from the bloody thing, or until it stops getting value. Then you throw the remaining carcass of the work back to the author as if it was some sort of fucking gift. (laughs) This is just fundamentally dishonest. It's a fundamentally dishonest uh, business model that the entirety of publishing is built on. And it just Mm. really annoys me that you can, you know, it's never going to be honest to to get somebody to sign a contract that will last until their grandchildren are dead it's just that is it's like you know it's never going to be you're never going to do anybody a favour if you can strap up an explosive vessel and then blow them up it's the same level of irrationality you just it just really bothers me that people people just don't see how that sort of lock-in that sort of power asymmetry and that sort of abuse of people's People do not understand um, lo- uh, the durations involved. They have no. There's no human way that you can actually understand what a hundred years mean. Mm. This is we don't have the mental capacity. We're not built in a way to understand it. It's, and, an, it's an abstraction. And mm. it's an ab- abstraction. But once you t- once you put the work to understand what that period of time actually means, what for the life of copyright actually means, mm. then you, it's it's just. It's like a freight train. It's it's like being physically hit by a, tra- a freight train. It's mm. unavoidable to understand that that is fundamentally unethical. But anyway, mm. uh, it, it's just that's a bugbear of mine, obviously. And uh, sort of, I, I'm, I'm I tend to be the one that keeps bringing this up and I keep getting shot down wherever I go because this is not the orthodox view within publishing. No. <laughs> I'm quite pleased that you were the one who swore first in this podcast. No, I'm, fair I'm enough. Being, yeah, trying to mind my language. Um, okay, so that's the first thing. That was the first problem you identified with the market. Yeah, no, it's, <clears throat> but we, we sort of, well, we, we got into the, um, um, so, uh, some of the other problems here um, that I've, I've mentioned. We've, we, um, 
Um, the, one of the other problems I had on my list was the absence of creating hard monetary value. That's in you, you're not yeah. creating any any hard value for the mm -hmm. user. So they uh, they have no framework really for for giving for judging how much they should pay for it. Sure. So. Because you're relying on an equivalence, you're relying on yeah. the <clears throat> a book costs you a paperback costs you seven ninety nine, a hardback will cost you twelve quid, and therefore you can price somewhere in between. But when well, if you if you ask for that money up front for an app, and the, the user has no way of understanding what that what that means, they have no, no understanding. what I mean, what what would that get me? Why should I pay that much? But I, yeah. if the reason why now payments tend to work is that you tend to experience the opportunity, so you can. You start to get a feeling for you know how much this is worth to you, and then in that payment system for for digital publishing, and this is again we're back to silent history, was that I understand exactly what I'm paying. I can mm. buy all six chat or nine chapters in advance for six quid. I can buy them in bits. I can do, but it it's not it's not going to worry me that I'm suddenly going to spending hundreds of pounds on this just yeah. to unlock levels. There there is a that the, the because it, it's you the have... idea that its literature has an inbuilt quality control mm. around the in-app purchase model. There is something that operates that feels yeah. safe. Mm. It's, all, it's just also, it comes back to, I mean, it comes back to the thing I said that the first problem is that selling to consumers is a really bad idea just mm. in the first place. So it's yeah. sort of, the in-app payments thing is not a panacea, it's not going to magically solve the problem, but it mitigates the problem for the for the, for the the buyer and it uh, yeah. helps things. So mm. that's my first, uh, uh, that's, an, uh, that's the other thing. Um, the other thing that's a problem is that when you enter anywhere that where there's com uh, uh, competition, yeah. then the price, the, then basically the, the price of the object tends to get pushed down to the marginal cost. Yeah. And the marginal cost of anything digital is zero. So, the, if you uh, enter an arena that are part of the digital space where there is competition, mm. um, your margin is going to get shuttled down to zero, and you're going to start losing money um, because it's just it's it, it's really really hard uh, hard to compete if you aren't creating a concrete value for for the reason. Mm. Um, well, uh, another problem I had was um, uh, sort of was pressing uh, uh, hand here was that. One thing that I tend to uh, tend to notice that publishers tend to do is that they tend to decide what to do first and then try to figure out how to sell it. Okay. They do attempt when um, if you look at um, the companies and organisations that are successful in in digital, whether it's apps, whether it's web services, mm. whether it's actually digital media, they tend to pick the they pick the market first. They pick the community yep. or the audience first. And then they figured, okay, how how can we build something that that community will value and therefore pay for? for and, yeah. mm. and it's sort of so the the publishing model works quite well because they they are fundamentally disconnected from the or the, from the book retail audience. Mm. It's just really hard for them to uh, they, they, their view of the reader is abstract. Um, mm. they, they can they can uh, a good editor will consider the reader throughout the process. Yeah. Absolutely, they will think. So, what, what, what would a what would a typical sci-fi reader, what yeah. would they suffer mm. like in, like here? But that isn't the same thing as being able to observe the interactions and and conversations of an actual community online, no, and being not. able to participate in that and sell to them. And it's also being in hoc to the idea that the physical book is your only equivalent model. Yeah. 
but that's actually what I'm. I'm just looking at sh- shelves here and thinking, five quid, ten quid, twelve quid, fifteen <laughs> quid. No, but yeah. that's but that's fine because they're things and <clears throat> and they're not things I've necessarily read yet, but they're things I want to read or they're they're things they're they're books there. That, but that abs- that works as a physical thing because there's a different relationship between <clears throat> the book as an object than the book or the notion of what a digital reading experience could be, and, mm. that, and that is different. That that fundamentally has as, as we said already has a different kind of mode of engagement a different initial offer a different pri- not a different intrinsic price point but a different sense of the price point of how do i get into this and what do i trust and what do i not trust because yeah. because it isn't marketed as a game and a game there are, i've seen you know i know people who review games like i kind of work on i've worked in the ages of the game industry long enough that a lot of that there are games that are reviewed badly on the amount of time it didn't take to complete it yeah, the sense that this was too easy. This this wasn't worth my thirty five quid because it only took me four. I don't. It, the answer is you're really good at this. Yeah, and you swept through it, and actually the rate, the most of the market would take a lot longer. All the quality of experience is there, but actually that does have an impact. Yeah, it has an impact in the way it's seen. But books don't. Books have an equivalent model, but I think they're not necessarily taking advantage of that. They're not kind mm. of figuring out how they leverage that. I mean, well, one thing that sort of one concern that you might have is that li- the literary experience m- probably doesn't have the same mainstream or uh, the same uh, the same sort of mainstream audience that you need to be able to do a list level productions in the budget yeah it's it's just yeah, definitely not. it's mm. all about just by being literary in the first place being mm. textual in the first place you already yeah. put yourself in a ni- in a niche in a niche yeah mm. So it sort of it, it limits the, uh, the sort of production values that uh, that you can uh, can use. Well, it limits the production values you're able to bring if what you're aiming for is the equivalent of an A-list experience. Mm. And if you think that the production the production value somehow equals quality, or no, sorry, that's wrong. If you think that um, surface production value indicates quality, yeah, that the bells and whistles indicate quality, and that the idea that suddenly an enhanced ebook is the way to go, well, it's, it's something it's, that of quality, and therefore we can charge fifteen quid for it. That's not going to get you very far. I mean, it's to use a sort of parallel in publishing that people in the publishing industry might, might uh, understand. The idea that the only quality you can... Uh, the, 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 that quality in interactive, uh, interactive apps is the sort of um, hyper-realistic, um, uh, detailed uh, apps like TouchPress made. It's a bit like looking at... Um, uh, it's, it's a bit like looking at print books and th- thinking that... Only only books with hyper realistic photographic covers are good, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. and it's sort of like you you you're looking at the wrapping. You're not looking at the actual experience no, of the, the thing. The, and the experience is key. Um, on that note, where are we on time? Um, <clears throat> Fifty minutes, fifty-five. Shall we wrap up here? Yeah. Um, partly because we want to record the second of these after a short break and put them out within a week of each other and try and get them out. And the second one does kind of map onto the first one. In yeah. terms of taking some ideas forward. So this well, seems like a, in, the- a in theory, we haven't recorded yet, but in theory, it was. yeah, okay, we, have, <laughs> we have a vague notion. Okay, so we'll, we'll wrap up here, and we'll if you listen to this in the order that we expect you to, we'll, <clears throat> we'll 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 you'll hear us in a week. Well, yes, hopefully, indeed.